Well, good morning. Um, I've, uh, I must say that I've personally kind of enjoyed uh, this summer sermon series, and if, if you've been with us throughout these weeks, uh, this is now our, our ninth week and on a nine-week series on the Ten Commandments, and, and maybe there's like just some logical consistency that just doesn't sit well with you, uh, that we're only doing nine weeks on the Ten Commandments, um, but there's only nine weeks in July and August, so deal with it. Um, uh, but uh, what we're doing this morning is, is we're really uh, just kind of rolling up commandments 9 and 10, or at least the way Lutherans number the commandments, 9 and 10, into 1. Uh, and as we conclude today, what I actually just want to do is I want to take a moment to just read again all of the Ten Commandments Uh, Because I think what we see here is there's actually sort of some logical consistency in the way that these commandments are given. At least with the way that they begin and then also the way that they end. So listen again, just Exodus chapter 20 beginning at the first verse. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands or a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Fourth commandment, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number five, you shall not murder. Number six, you shall not commit adultery. Number seven, you shall not steal. Number eight, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Number ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. Now one thing that's that's interesting is, is that the first... Eight commandments all deal with actions. It's it's don't do this. But then once we get to commandments 9 and 10, it's not so much about actions, but rather it's about desires. In in fact, uh, the the Hebrew word here for covet is is the word chamad, which is just fun to say. I like that very guttural sound. Chamad, and, and what it means is, is to set your heart on, to, to desire, to, to long for something. In fact, often in Scripture, it's even, word, it's even used as, as a word for praise. 
And, and what's also interesting about commandments 9 and 10 is that there's this doubling. That God says both, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, or, or then you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his servants, anything that belongs to your neighbor. And there's one other commandment that also has this doubling. And it's the first commandment. That you shall have no other gods, and that you shall not make for yourself any carved images. So the Ten Commandments, it begins with this sort of double commandment at the beginning, and then it ends with this same double commandment at the end. And I think what God is doing here is he's painting a picture of what all of the Ten Commandments center around. Like we've said again and again and again throughout this series, is that when you break any of the commandments, when you violate God's law, you are also committing adultery. That is sort of the result of sin. But I think what this is saying here at the end is where does sin begin? Sin doesn't begin in our actions. It begins in our hearts. Is that before we ever act, before we ever do anything wrong, before we actually do something like steal, commit adultery, is that it begins in our desires, our longings, our hearts. That's the central problem here. And it makes perfect sense. Why do we bear false witness? It's because we covet our neighbor's reputation and we think that by tearing them down, we can lift ourselves up. Why do we steal? Because we long for what someone else has and think we'd be better off if we had it. Why do we pursue sexual gratification outside of what God has intended Because we think that by pursuing it, it'll make us whole. Why do we murder? Why do we disobey our parents and authorities? Why do we refuse to rest? We take a time to to listen and hear God's word. Why do we take God's name in vain? Where does it all land us in? It's our desires that lead us to believe that we don't really need God. We're better off when we're in charge. You see, sin begins in our hearts. It begins with covetousness. It begins with misaimed desires. And it ends in idolatry. In thinking that we'd be better off if we were God and God wasn't. This is why Luke chapter 12, the parable that we read earlier, Jesus very pointedly warns against covetousness. The story begins like this, Luke 12, verse 13. You heard it a moment ago. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And then he turned and said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see this man in the crowd. He comes to Jesus and, and he sort of acts as if what is that he's just looking for fairness. He's just looking that, that justice and, and the law be preserved. He says, Jesus, 
look, there's this dispute between me and my brother over the inheritance. Tell my brother that he needs to do his duty and divide the inheritance with me. And right away, Jesus sees through it. And he won't have anything to do it because he knows that this is not about fairness. It's about covetousness. It's about the simple fact that this man wants to hide behind the law and hide behind what he says, we just got to do right. But what he really wants is to make sure that he gets every penny that's coming to him. So this sets the stage, and, and Jesus hears this, and he warns the people, be on your guard against covetousness. And then he turns and he tells them this parable. It says, the land of a rich man, it, it produced plentifully. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. You can't help but feel bad for the guy, right? <laughs> he said, oh, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Then God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you've prepared, whose will they be? And so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. One thing that I find so interesting about this parable is, is the absurdity that is present within it. Jesus tells the story, this, this man, his, his fields, they produce plentifully more than he could have ever expected. And so he's thinking, oh, what, what am I going to do with all this surplus, all this extra? I wasn't prepared for it. Well, just tear down everything that I have and, and I'll build up new barns. Now think about this. Think about how plentiful his harvest would have had to have been for him to justify this cost. Think about the cost in terms of time and money to tear down his barns, to build up new ones. Think about the portion of this harvest that he would have had to sell off to pay for this. And still, they require new barns for him to store it all up. Look at the absurd lengths that this man goes through to store up stuff for who? For himself. But that's the reality of covetousness, isn't it? That when we covet, when we set our hearts on things, we justify all sorts of absurd behavior. I can remember a couple of years ago, uh, sitting... And, and drinking a, a beer with a, a friend of mine. And, and we sat there. And, and he told me that he was planning to, to leave his wife. And, and it wasn't because that there were some serious relationship problems. It wasn't because of, of irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. It wasn't because of... of infidelity or, or something like that. But what it very simply was, Jesus said, I, I didn't expect marriage to be like this. And, and I, I just feel like we, we just don't have the same interests. And, and, I, and I just feel like I, like I, I should have someone who, who likes the same things that I like. 
and who enjoys the same hobbies that I enjoy. I remember sitting there just, just thinking, you, you, don't have, you don't have to do this. There's a better way. You, you, you can work at this. You don't have to give up on your marriage. But very simply, what it was is, is he began to look around and think, you know, there's got to be a better option out there than actually having to work. And, you know, it, it'd be really easy for me to sit and, and sort of look down my nose at that kind of thinking. To, to think, oh, look at me. Look at the ways that I work and, and sacrifice and, and try to make my relationship work. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is I'm no different. And we all do the same thing all the time. We justify all sorts of, of silly, absurd behavior to get the things that we want. We, we twist and turn the truth so that we're at the center and so that we can justify getting that thing or pursuing that relationship or, or hurting that person. We, we seek to exploit every law and every loophole to get the things that we want. We frequently set aside the needs of, our, of others to get that thing, that thing that I've set my heart on. We'll have no problem spending money on that thing for me, but then when we're asked to give, to sacrifice, ah, I can't afford it. I just can't swing it. When we're in our hearts are covetous, we're, we're led to even treat people like mere objects in the way of, of me and getting that thing that I think that I need. You see, I think at the end of the day, there, there are two truths about us when our hearts are filled with covetousness is that when we are so set on those things that we desire. The first one is, is this. It's maybe pretty obvious, but a covetous heart is a selfish heart. A covetous heart is a selfish heart. When we are filled with a desire for things, we will always place ourselves at the center of life at the center of our own universe. We will justify anything and everything to get what we want. Because a covetous heart is always a selfish heart. That was the rich fool's problem, wasn't it? The rich fool's problem, it was not that he was wealthy. It, it was not that he was successful. His problem is that he was selfish. His problem is that he didn't ever stop and think, maybe I don't need to rip down my barns, maybe I have enough and I could give away, that I could care for my neighbor, that I could give to those in need. But I'm just going to store up and store up and store up all for me so I can sit around and eat and drink and be merry. It wasn't his wealth, it wasn't his success, it wasn't how much he had, it was that he had it with selfishness. covetous heart is always a selfish heart. But I think the other reality that we often fail to see is that a covetous heart is always a restless heart. 
that when we are constantly setting our hearts and our desires on things and people and status, we are never, ever satisfied. It's never enough. Like, I'll be honest, I, I really like clothing. But you know what has never once happened? I have never once purchased something that I set my heart on and then said, oh, that's it. I don't need anything else ever again. <laughs> and you laugh because you've done the same thing. No, no time do we ever finally get that thing that we've set our hearts on and just say, that's it, I'm content, I'm done. But what happens time and time again is we get to that thing and that thing wears out. Or that thing is not as new as this other thing. Or, or there's more of that thing. And a covetous heart is always a restless heart. It's always looking for something more. It's never content, never satisfied. This is actually at the heart of, of St. Augustine's view of, of really what sin is. St. Augustine, who, who wrote in the, in the 4th century, he, he believed that, that sin, ultimately, it was mis-aimed mis love. It, it wasn't that we are people of desires. It wasn't that we want things. It was that we want the wrong thing. That we set our hearts on things that simply do not satisfy. And so Augustine writes at the, at the beginning of, of perhaps his most well-known work called simply The Confessions. He begins book one this way. It says, Great art thou, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is thy power and infinite is thy wisdom, and man desires to praise thee, for he is a part of thy creation. He bears his mortality about him and carries the evidence of his sin and the proof that thou dost resist the proud. But still, he desires to praise thee. This man who is only a small part of thy creation, thou hast prompted him that he should delight to praise thee. For thou hast made us for thyself and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. We have been made for something more. And so long as we settle for less, we'll always be looking for more. Our hearts will always be restless until they come to rest in our Creator. And what I love about this word from St. Augustine is that there's this truth present here. Is that underneath all of those desires, underneath all of those things that we covet, is something more. That at the heart of all of those broken desires, those broken things that we set our hearts on, is really, truly a desire for our Creator. Because what else can fulfill limitless desire other than one who is limitless good and mercy and grace? 
So within all of those broken, misaimed desires, there is this longing that can only be fulfilled by one. That's why I love the way that Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he addresses the problem of broken desires in the Philippian church. He, He sees what's going on. He sees the way that people are putting themselves above everyone else. And so he says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. You could read there, do nothing from covetousness. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let us each not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was in the form of God. All the glory, all the honor, all of the praise, it was all due to him. He deserved it by his nature. It was his, and he didn't even covet that. But he emptied himself. And being formed and hu- being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus did not even covet what was rightly His. He willingly laid it all aside. All of the glory that was due Him. The honor that was due Him. He laid it aside to come and enter into this world. A world that is corrupted by broken longings and sinful desires, and he came to be with it. Because what he set his heart on was not the praise that was due to him, but what he set his heart on was you and me. Because he set his heart on you and me, he willingly endured the cross, he willingly endured. Humanity. He willingly endured death and a shameful one at that, all so that he could bring us back to himself. And the only thing that will ever fulfill our desires is to know and be known by this Jesus. May you come to desire nothing more than him. May you come to desire the one who forgives all of your sinful longings. May you find your contentment. May you find your peace. May you find that all of your desires and your hopes are fulfilled in knowing the one who simply longs for you. Amen? Amen.